recording with the one and only Miss Mitzi Purdue on Friday, February 10th, 2023 at 3.24 p.m. Eastern time. We were just talking beforehand um, why I'm doing them live, and I told her that beyond any understanding I have, people like watching them live. I've never cared. So that's why I always didn't do them live, but I started doing them live a couple of weeks ago and the viewership's gone up by probably three, four fold. And I don't get it. I get no, I don't care if something's live or not, but I guess that I am in a minority of one because everyone prefers something to be live. I do not understand it. I don't try to understand it. I don't care. But that's you, okay. Cause I'm here to enlighten you. Thank you. I will tell you why. Please do. All right. This is based on, my membership in the National Speakers Association. Uh, speaking is a $5 billion a year industry. And since it's so large, they put a lot of effort into setting what audiences like. And here's what they like about, about having it live stream. It's the level of, of engagement just zooms because it's a little bit like a high wire act without a net. Hmm. You know, I don't know if somebody's just going to blow it or or say something brilliant or whatever, but it's it's in the moment, and that's just infinitely more powerful. And I, if I can build on that, I'll say something else that the National Speakers Association says. It's not just about transmitting information, because I can sell you a book for $18, or I can go charge you for a seminar like $2,000 to attend. And a lot of people are going to spend the $2,000 to be there in person. Hmm. Why? And shall I let you guess, or shall I just say what the National Speakers Association says? I would imagine you probably get more out of, isn't body language? Isn't that like why, you know, Nixon, Nixon won the debate to those that listened on the radio, but Kennedy won to those who watch because Kennedy was a handsome devil and, Nixon wasn't, but Nixon was brilliant or more so than Kennedy? Is it just body body language, facial expression? Is that it? It's partly because the the experience of, of seeing somebody and interacting and, and seeing their facial expressions up close, uh, that has so much more impact that it's worth it to people to attend a seminar rather than just get more information from a book. That the... Uh, that, words are actually a very small part of the experience of influencing you changing you having an impact in fact i have i have read i i can't swear that it's true but a lot of people believe it's true that when somebody's giving a speech the actual information that you're transmitting is like seven percent of it yeah yeah oh no absolutely watch a really so, good okay so back to the here you and i are uh on a high wire without a net because we could blow it. There's nobody that's going to go back and correct it. If I, if I take off and start swearing as I shouldn't, um, no, no correcting it. It it's there. I came to peace with that after the first episode, because in my mind, what I liked about it not being live is like, there was always some, you know, if this person went way off and I'm, I pretty much allow anything to go, but if this person, you know, went way off the rails and, really start calling you know racial slurs or calls for violence I, I always like having the safety of knowing that i could just not upload it or remove it but i can't I yeah came but that's what makes it exciting to listen to and watch but then i came to peace with it 
And I was like, somebody may come on and do it. All right. It's not me. I don't, I can, what I would do is I would, I've played it out in my mind. I would, I would denounce that immediately. I would say, thank you. This is your last time ever on the show. And I would end the stream. But then I realized it's not me. What do I care? They did it. Not me. It's on camera. Yeah. It's literally yeah. on camera. They did it. Not me. So that's alleviated all anxiety I always had about going live was, yeah, somebody might go insane and just say whatever they want. All right. But I absolutely love the feeling that right now you and I are talking with people. It's, I mean, it's yeah. I find it very invigorating. I, I, it ups my energy level. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, and I think the first one I did, I was kind of anxious about it, but by, I think by stream number two, I just, I guess I've been practicing for it over a thousand episodes of just never editing and not having talking points. I mean, I guess I was just practicing for going live because I do nothing different. I mean, nothing different. So I guess and, that... and I have a theory about you, Tommy, as somebody who's watched you for more than a thousand uh, sessions. Uh, I think you've hit your stride. You're, you. you're, you're not an amateur now. You're a, you're a journeyman. I, f I feel like it's, I feel like I'm more and more comfortable in it. I feel like I have more confidence in it. I feel like it's, you know, when you've been driving a car for a long time and it kind of becomes the extension of you. That's what I'm slowly getting to is it feels like it's mine. Like there's no, I have to put on a confident face. Like I am, you know, you might get nervous on a first date. You don't get, you don't get nervous to, you know, go hang out with your brother or your parents. It's just, it is what it is. That's kind of how I'm starting to feel with this is I very much so feel like it's mine. And I feel like I'm hitting, I'm hitting some sort of stride, which I hope I am. I mean, God, I hope I am. I've been doing it for 38 months tomorrow. Not that anybody's counting, but. But I, I've got a great big question that I've been puzzling over because I'm I'm a regular listener. When can when can uh, YouTube get you back? Never. They because you won't go back, or they. Well, or no, they I've tried to get back. They no, no, they absolutely. They've become so much more restrictive since one. It's not like they've rolled back, and maybe I can you know make a case. They're more restrictive now. Like more people are leaving. And they've, they're not just bullying little channels like mine. Now they're bullying the multi-million subscriber channels. And they're coming out saying, like, what are you doing? It YouTube is, they're continuing to burn themselves down. So I couldn't get back on one if I wanted to. And I would go back on just because it's another platform. Why not? But no, they'd, I, I think I would be removed. I think, I think if some miracle happened and I got back on, I would be removed. So it, it's, it's, you know, I'm just kind of watching. It's like a skyscraper on fire and I'm just kind of watching it from a distance. And like, you know, I don't take pleasure in knowing people are jumping out, but like at the same time, I'm like, I told you three years ago, Hey guys, there's a fire. All right. You know, and I said, there's a fire and they kicked me out for saying there's a fire. So I don't know, you know, if it goes down, I guess I'll have crocodile tears, but I don't really I don't care. What do we know about YouTube's viewership? Because Gosh, if 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 they're losing the people who are saying the interesting things, hmm, where are we? Where are they? Well, they're at they, you know, they they grew and they accumulated the power that they had because they weren't the first video platform. 
So that's, you know, that's a misnomer. People say, oh, well, they were the first. They were not. They were not by a long shot. There, there was new grounds. There was stupid videos. There was uh, E-bombs world, all these things in the early, early 2000s. They kind of cornered the market because they, much like a, like a Rockefeller or a Carnegie, they standardized the system. They made it very user-friendly and uh, anyone could go. And it was the beauty of the internet is you could go watch a, somebody do a great breakdown of Pearl Harbor. You could also watch somebody teach you how to change your air conditioner vent. You could also watch somebody eat 10 pounds of pasta. Why not? Anything went. And what got them to their, their super, I think this goes for a lot with when you see musicians who start to rest on their laurels or actors who don't try as hard anymore because they think they're the big name the activities they took to get to that superstar status they are no longer partaking in but there is much like turning a cruise ship there's a little bit of delay so as soon as you stop practicing and trying to be the best every day you are st- like joe rogan could stop trying he could stop doing any research he could not consume any caffeine before it and it would probably still take like a year or two for him to start to fail because there's this inertia and they have such a large inertia. I mean, I think they bought YouTube in 02, 03. I mean, and they really only started nuking themselves around 2021. They had 20 years of, you know, being the Beatles or being Michael Jordan. There's an inertia. You know, Rome didn't fall immediately. They're falling. And in the future, we'll look back and it will seem relatively quick. It took three years. But right now, I think that they are, they have the, they have the arrogance and the hubris of we're YouTube. Okay, you are. But the things that made you YouTube, you're not doing anymore. The things that made you YouTube is what Rumble's doing. And Rumble will become the largest and if history has any sense of repetition, which it does, I imagine around 2040, Rumble will start to fall. It'll become too big. It'll become top-heavy. It'll become completely detached from what made it great. Everyone who founded it will probably cash out, and why wouldn't you? And then something else will arise. That's why. That's what I think. They've got they've got staying power for now. Well, I don't wish them well. I don't either. I personally hope it bombs horribly face down just nosedive but i think that's why and they still have the massive massive channels but one by one those will start to there's a guy i don't know anything about but i know he's like a popular person on youtube his his call name is steve will do it i don't know anything about him but i know that he got booted off youtube and he had like a million subscribers. And I think that was the biggest one. And he came over to Rumble. Uh, there's a there's a there's a, a cartoon animator who just makes these really kind of dark, nightmarish cartoons a couple minutes yeah. long. His name's yeah. his name's Meat Canyon. And he's got five point eight million subscribers. And his most recent thing is about starting to leave for Patreon. Because they're demonetizing his old video, they're they're do, they're enacting retroactive policies. No so, so you can't do X, Y, and Z. Okay, but we're going to apply that to your video you uploaded in two thousand seven, and we're going to penalize you for it. 
You're like, wait, what? That's there's a reason why we don't have like double jeopardy and retroactive laws in like the U.S. court system is because it's bullshit. And but they're doing that now, and uh, I think they're hubris. But haven't I been re- reading that that they're letting go lots of their employees? Well, I imagine that will be another thing as as it becomes less and less profitable. They will have that sort of corporate hierarchy of just, okay, well, let's remove expenses. And by removing them, you're going to remove the people that helped, you know, keep it clean and remove the little bugs and glitches. But they're still, uh, they still have got that like 2 billion person user base. I think Rumble is like maybe 40 or 50 million a month. YouTube, for all intents and purposes, they can still kind of bully everyone and probably will be able to. Probably for, I mean, at least another two years, I would imagine, before it even starts to become, like, noticeable. But they must have lost so much credibility over COVID. I think that they're dealing with a different currency, and it's it's government currency. Uh Uh-huh. I mean, they are a company, and they do need money, but they got to a point where it's they're now dealing with uh we're going to take you know we're going to take dictation from the right hand of the king and they're looking at that more probably it's like yeah we don't need to worry about best buy running ads we are we're in bed with the white house and that's uh okay and carrot and stick or like putin negotiates a uh, combination of uh flattery and we're going to do great things for you and blackmail uh you don't do sure. what we want uh, you're going to have a um a, a antitrust problems that's a huge thing how come the government hasn't broken up these antitrust monopolies right i I think both of us and and everybody listening to us right now uh, i can't see you people who are listening to us or watching us but nod your head because we're all agreeing oh yeah well why wouldn't you you're the government you've got power and you're going i can break up your stranglehold on the world all of digital discourse or you just, I don't know, shadow ban this topic. All right. I mean, why wouldn't that happen? Why would the corruption of man all of a sudden disappear in the year 2020? It's been going on since the dawn of time. I, I, I'm asking a rhetorical question because I've heard you speak on it, but good Lord, the U.S. is resembling more and more a dictatorship. It, I mean, it's got Putin-esque qualities to it. Yeah, it's, it's, I don't really think there's any way backwards. I think, I think the best you can hope is that they make too many grabs for power too quickly and someone else in power uses their folly so that they can propel themselves forward. Yeah. I think that's probably the best case you're looking at, right? Because all throughout history, you have kind of like, at least in the last 150 years, communism will start to take over, and then a hardcore fascist will take take control to fight the communists. And you get rid of the communists, but then you have a fascist dictatorship. But if you don't have the fascist dictatorship and the communists take over, then you just have genocide. So you're at, we're at a point where it's it's we're going for lesser of two evils. I don't think there's any like happy ending now. I don't think we're going towards greener. I hope there is. I, you know, I hope and pray there is, but. But you know, this struggle that you've been mentioning since you mentioned 150 years of history, uh, I wish to trump you. 
Uh, I'm going to go back. Um, let's go to 5,000. No, let's go to 2,500 BC. Uh, and we're in Ukraine, known as Scythia at the time. And Herodotus, the father of history, he was the first person to write about Ukraine or to write from a historical point of view about Ukraine. And this was a period when the Athenians were uh, at war with what today would be Turkey. Uh, or let's see, it, well, the Persians back then. The Persians controlled Ukraine. Herodotus was really interested in the war between Athens and Persia, including Ukraine. And he said, you know, back that long ago, it's a fight between liberty and tyranny. Athenians being liberty, uh, the, the Persians being tyranny. But isn't it kind of amazing that, that this endless push between the people who want to dominate us and the people who want us to be free it just goes on forever. Yeah, and I don't think it will ever really stop. I guess because the impulse of of psychopaths to do not to dominate, manipulate, and control is yeah. You know, there's a certain percentage of people who have that, and I think Putin is, is exhibit A. And, and then on the other side, there are people who really want everybody to be free and happy and be all they can be and and for that that, that tension is going to go on and on forever probably i think pretty much it has to get so bad that the people that just want to be left alone eventually rise up and do something and then they fight back and then for a couple of generations everyone stays aware and make sure that they got their ear to the ground and then you grow complacent and you grow lazy and then 70 to 100 years goes by and you wonder why a dictator is coming to power and then if it can't be fixed it falls apart and you know right now the i think the mindset is well if america falls there's nowhere else to go and i think that's accurate but there's nowhere else to go for now you know there was no reason for all of human history to ever assume that a republic would arise but it eventually did just kind of like you know you've rolled the dice enough times you're going to get snake eyes eventually america arose and it might be a couple that if america falls china will fill the vacuum and then it will be a communist dictatorship and with with you know technology and asymmetric power exertion that will exist for a long time but eventually the people in charge of that dictatorship after a century or two will start to grow complacent start to grow lazy much like youtube and they will forget what made them so powerful and then some up-and-comer will create some colony somewhere, and then there will be a 1776.2.0 where against all odds some group wins, and they'll establish a new colony, and that will grow, and then by the providence of God, it will become the greatest power on Earth, and it'll be the equivalent of some 1945 post-war America, and then that will go on for 70 to 100 years, and then it will... I think it just goes forever. I really do. The, the book that I'm reading, it's... Uh... Gates of Europe, and it does go back to Herodotus, and it really gives me a perspective of, of what's going on in Ukraine today. It didn't start in 2019, in 2022. Uh, it, it started back 2,500 years ago, yeah. well, probably before that, but we've got records from 2,500 years ago. That's what I mean, is I think it just goes 
The trouble is when it's going badly, the suffering is so enormous. And that dear beloved friend is uh, my segue into what I want to talk about. Oh, yeah. And completely forgot. I was just going way off in a, well, you start talking about YouTube and my blood starts to boil and I get riled up and I hate them, but. You're right. I've completely oh, yeah, forgot. but we're we're on the same team on that. I I I consider them loathsome. I think the initially, kind of like wasn't it Twitter whose 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 motto was "Do no harm." No, no, that was Google. Be that was no Google. E- yeah, yeah, you're right. Don't be evil. Don't be evil. Oh, gosh, it. How often you know the motto that you start out with, you become the reverse of. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's. No, they've done it. They've, but I don't think there's any way to not do that. I think, I feel like Apple's done like a decent job at becoming a behemoth, and I'm, I know that they probably still do a bunch of shady stuff. But they do a pretty good job at just delivering products, all things being equal. I mean, I know, yeah, they use Foxconn labor, and I know they've assisted the FBI and cloud storage, but. For a company that did become a you know two three trillion dollar behemoth, they have not nearly gone over the cliff of evil that Google Google seemed to have just rode directly towards it with rocket thrusters. Like the second they started to get any sort of back to twenty sixteen, they were they were shutting down uh, Google Drive accounts and Google Doc accounts if you would if you had any text on there, you know refer you know saying slanderous words like tranny instead of transaction i mean this is seven years ago so it's not 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 even it's right when trump got into office or right before he actually got in office it was i remember reading about it summer 2016 so like they've been they've been ferociously they didn't just walk off the cliff by accident they saw the cliff put their put their gps on it and floored it yeah, but what if what if positions of power really do attract the psychopaths? And the definition of psychopath that that I'm working with is somebody who's really into domination, manipulation, and control. And that usually, you know, if you want to control somebody, you want them to do something they don't want to do. Uh, you don't want them to have the freedom to have their own thoughts. Doesn't it sound kind of psychopathic? What's happening to big tech? That the psychopaths are clawing their way up to the top. Well, yeah. And I think it probably happens with any consolidation of power. And then they will drive it off the cliff and something will arise alternatively. And then there will be something new and it will blossom as all the creative, free-thinking people flock there, like what Google used to be. And then that will run. But, you course. know, that's the glory of democracy because uh, if somebody's really psychopathic, uh, at least up till recently, uh, we just vote them out. Well, if it's someplace like the this uh, Russia, the Russian Empire, I'm inclined to say it these days, um, you're you're a psychopath and you claw your way through the top. How do you or or you're Chairman Xi, who gets you out? There, democracy has a defense against the evil part of human nature that wants to dominate, manipulate, and control. Um, and, yeah. and to me, it seems to me as if socialism, communism. Any kind of tyranny means you're defenseless against the psychopaths. Well, what ha- you're you are 
And if there are elections, they suspend them. But then, them. yeah, I mean, look, look at Ukraine and uh, and the Donbass and the elections there I, or or even Crimea. I, I think I read that 95 percent of the people voted to uh, to join Russia. Do you believe those elections? Well, so it's either you either have fair elections or they're hijacked, outright suspended or just not allowed. And sure, you consolidate your power and then over a long enough time, the the snake eats itself and the country implodes. It takes decades, sometimes centuries, but it can't lie. But the psychopaths don't care because their lifespan is in centuries. So as long as they get to have their cake, they don't give a shit if anybody else does. Yeah, and the amount of, oh, golly. Uh, you know, I've been to Ukraine twice and I'm planning on going a third time because your friend, that would be me, has signed up to go to de-mining school in Ukraine. I want to go so I can write about it. I want to write about it to let people know, good Lord, some of the things that are going on. Uh, but before we get to that, I want to share something that I learned from this book that I'm in love with. Do you know where the word Donbass comes from? Of course you don't, because you needed Mitzi to tell you. Yeah, I have no idea. Here goes. Uh, it's short. The the Donbass area is where the big coal mines are. And they don't call them mines so much as they call them basins. So Donbass is the Donetsk area basin. So Don, Donetsk, basin, bass. So Donbass. So it, it Donbass is kind of short for the uh, the eastern part of Ukraine's coal area. Okay. Okay, but back to uh, some of what, why I want to go back and why I want to write about it. It will, the, the next article I write will be the 18th that has been published in places like Newsweek or the Washington Examiner, or just some, some biggies that I'm really happy with. Uh, what the Russians have done in Ukraine right now is unique in the mining area. I was talking with the guy who's head of the UN for clearing for mine clearing throughout the world. He said that there's never been a country as heavily mined as Ukraine right now, that statistics from last year were 10% of all the farmland in, in Ukraine has been mined, as in rendered unusable for, uh, for agriculture. And why is it unusable? Well, you're a farmer driving your tractor and you come across a mine, it blows up your tractor and it may kill you. Uh, and there may be a thousand mines on your few acres of, of, of cropland. And the question that I kind of hope people might ask, and if not, I'm asking it for them, how do you get a thousand mines on one farm? I mean, there's not somebody walking around planting mines, landmines, the Russians have invented a machine. It looks something like, I mean, this is gonna be a rough analogy, but it looks something like a HIMARS vehicle, one of those multiple rocket mm -hmm. launch vehicles. But instead of launching like explosives, well, it is launching an explosive, but say there are 50 of these rocket tubes on the back of a truck, each one of these tubes can carry between 60 and 100 landmines. Uh, the, the ones I've seen um, roughly maybe the size of your palm, and you can stuff 
70 or, or 100 of these into one tube, mm -hmm. they're 50 tubes. I mean, we're, we're, we're approaching 5,000 landmines that this thing can shoot. And it can be in a field. It can be on a country road where nobody sees it. It can fire at a distance of between three miles and 10 miles. Oh, wow. And, they, and they've gotten, uh, you know, the coordinates of where the, the best farmland is. And they just start shooting hour after hour, day after day, until 10% of the second largest country in Europe is roughly 10% mined. And, and, and so what does that mean? Well, that's part of what the Russians have done. There's, this is, it's a three-part thing. One is destroy the agricultural land. Uh, another part is uh, destroy the agricultural equipment. And then another part is mining the sea land, the sea lanes, so that even if a farmer is able to grow his crops, her crops, but let's go with his, uh, how do you transport them over mined roads to the port? And then how does the port uh, sell your grain? And they haven't exercised the the sea mined part of the grain yet. However, I've I've heard expectations that that when Russia really is going for the throat, which it will, which it's about to, and I, I have this information from people I talk with in, in Ukraine, it's probably pretty well known if you follow the news at all, but that Russia's really gearing up possibly for its last biggest attempt. And my hope is that if this attempt fails, that Russia fails, but Russia doesn't want to fail. So they are ready to go for the throat. Uh, so with between sea mines and land mines, uh, they can just utterly destroy the livelihoods of, of the farmers. They can destroy the economy of the country because a good bit of Ukraine's economy is, you know, it's the bread, one of the bread baskets yeah. of the world. You, you wipe that out. And yeah, you know, how, how does a, com a country survive if there's no way for anybody to leave, learn, earn a living? How, you know, where, where do the taxes come in? How do you pay for things? The, right. the Russians are just going after that. But that's not the end of it. While I was, when I was in Russia last, which when I'm, I'm trying to say Ukraine, when I was in Ukraine last, which was end of December, I made friends with with a policewoman. Her name is Irina. And she was showing me on her cell phone some of the things that they, as police, take pictures of. The, the Russians very, very, very deliberately plant landmines in playgrounds. And they do this with the, the landmines, uh, you know, I'm going to guess that most people, when you think of a landmine, you think of, if you think of it at all, you think of a claymore mine, mm -hmm. you know, something that um, maybe it's like a dish that's a, a dinner plate, but the one that's maybe yeah. three inches thick. It, that's the shape that, that I always thought of landmines of. But no, the current ones, uh, the ones that they're going to seed the playgrounds with, or that they have seeded playgrounds with, they look something like leaves. So that if you're in a playground, uh, it and you're running around, and you know, there, there are leaves blown in the corner of the playground, 
and you're running around chasing the ball or something, you step on one of these, quote, leaves, and it's not going to kill you, but it will take off your foot. Mm-hmm. And the, the Russians very, very deliberately have calculated how much liquid explosive is in one of these leaf-shaped things that I I think if I'm remembering right, it's 40 grams, unless it's 40 milligrams, but, but it's known how much is in it and it's not enough to explode all the way up to to kill yeah. you but it will render you maimed for the rest of your life and it does mean that your parent one of your parents is not going to be contributing to the economy or fighting the war they're going to be taking care of their beloved permanently maimed child and other things that the russians do is say when they're leaving the town they'll booby trap it and in in just well, I'm told the person telling me this said that they're very psychologically adept at how you cause the maximum misery. Um, the, the person who was telling me this story said, you go to clear the landmines in, in a city, you go to the house, you check the house has a well, that's where they get the water. Uh, the house, ha- it might have an outhouse. Uh, no mines, they, they check the living room, they check the dining room, no mines. They te- check the parents' bedrooms, no mines. They check the child's bedroom, and there, maybe among a stack of toys, is a mine. And again, it's one of these things which isn't enough to kill you, but it is enough maybe to blind you or take your hands off or leave you totally maimed for life. And so I'm asking, yeah, you know, why aren't they in the in the bedrooms or uh, why why aren't they in the living rooms or the kitchens or the dining rooms or whatever? And and the answer is because the the Russians are very well aware that when a refugee comes back, you know, people are just so overjoyed to come back into their house, and the kid's going to rush to his or her bedroom for the comfort of you know playing with their toys, and boom, their life. Is changed forever. Now, just the sheer evilness of of just calculating how bad you can make it. Well, isn't that? I want to. Isn't isn't there? Was it Iraq? Was it after? Maybe it was Vietnam. Afghanistan did this. They, yeah, wasn't it, there something not, very? Yeah, you use like a very low level explosive, and it's. Yeah, it's like the psychological warfare of like you'd rather be killed than lose a foot or something. I'm trying to rack my memory. Well, well from a point of view of, of the country, it's... Oh, sure, that uh, too. Because you don't want to stretch the medical system. Uh, you don't want adults who could be productive members of society are forced to... Take you know, it, yeah. I mean, it, it is the Russians' playbook. By the way, that was one person who described to me when with his mind clearing... But another one told me uh, kind of a different experience. He said that in the village where he was clearing, that they that the Russians would be very strategic about figuring out, they, they would set like the equivalent of a grenade, but they'd have it so that the pin would be triggered when you open a cabinet door or maybe your dishwasher or microwave or I don't know if that how many people have microwaves there, but but something that you would just in the normal course of events you return to your uh, house or apartment and you open a cabinet door, maybe the refrigerator, uh, and 
you're blinded. So what do you do about it, right? I was going to ask back to the 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 mine truck. How do they how do they bury them? Because if they're kind of discs, that's not like a penetrative shape. That's not like a like a dart. Or is it just? I guess you throw them into tall grass, and you kind of don't need to bury them. I know it's a weird thing to fixate on, but that's my OCD mind. Is how would you? If the idea is for them to not be visible. Well, I've seen videos of it, and um, they they the farmland it's uh, that I've seen it's it's not like a nice dirt furrows. Uh, it's maybe it's grass, maybe it's. Look. A little more wild. But, but, but I, I can, uh, what I've seen is, uh, I don't know, it looks to me like wheat fields. Um, other things that I've seen are, well, just agricultural land that hasn't been plowed under. Sure. Uh, then it's, it's pretty much invisible to you because if it looks like a leaf, uh, and it's, you know, if you're really looking for it, you'll see it. Yeah. Uh, but if, if you're, if you've got, I don't know, two or 300 acres to plow and there's a thousand of these things there. Sure. I mean, it's just, that land is not available to you. You are going bankrupt. You are going to be destitute. And they and, stay and, for decades, right? I mean. Okay, okay that, but then another thing, um, the, the landmines that are distributed in children's playgrounds, uh, the ones that I saw, uh, let me be more accurate, the ones that I saw pictures of, that this landmine that looks something like a leaf that falls to the ground. And three or four hours later, uh, that, that can have in different colors. Like it's summer, uh, it will be green. It's fall, it will be fall colors. In the fall colored ones that I saw, when it first lands, yeah, you can see it because it's kind of lying on top of things. But three or four hours later, yeah. you know, some other leaves fall, uh, some pine needles cover it. And it doesn't have to cover it, it just breaks up the edges. You don't see it unless you almost, I think I'm exaggerating, but you almost need a magnifying glass, but I mean, or, or to be more realistic, you have to be paying close attention because yeah. if you're not looking for it, you will not see it. Then it's also a psychological aspect of you really only need one story of it on one playground. And now that makes you look at every playground kind of. Well, how about you don't send your kids to the playgrounds anymore? Well, sure that it's it's all you know it all has psychological ripple effects, right? And and you know there's even another part of this. Um, I am due to uh, to interview an expert on this, but but I've heard just kind of in the background that the PTSD of having landmines around uh, can be almost as severe and lasting and wearing as being on the front lines. Because you don't know at what moment you may be blown up or your kid may be blown up. Mm. And and that it's real genuine PTSD of just, it reduces your ability to function. Or you have like, uh, Dale's told stories about, you know, being in Afghanistan and seeing what their mind clearing technique was. And it's a dad takes 10 of his kids and has them walk in front of them. Wait till one of the four-year-olds blows up. Kind of messed up. Kind of messed up. Fortunately, here, here's what I know about what's going on in Ukraine. 
but the trouble is um, they are making efforts in the, I think the US government is spending close to a hundred million dollars in subsidizing mind clearing right now. Uh, and the idea is you start, you don't wait for the war to be over, you just start working on it now. But uh, the the mind clearing schools, there there's a group called the Halo Trust, and I'm raising money for it in a crowdfunding effort. It's called Donor C uh, yeah. Mind Free. And I put uh, the brain. I put I put the link to that in the description. Yeah, and I'm extremely happy with a donation that's the equivalent of of what you'd spend in Starbucks. Uh, I mean, five dollars will make a difference because every, every penny counts in this, including that uh, I get to tell people in Ukraine, look how the Americans are supporting you. And mm -hmm. boy, is that ever a good feeling. But but back to uh, what's known about mind mind clearing, the Halo Trust, it it does mind clearing all over the world. And if you if you remember the picture, it's kind of an iconic picture of Princess Diana in a minefield drawing attention to mind clearing. Uh, well, if maybe you have to be 50 to, <laughs> to remember yeah, this, because well, I think it was in 1995. So uh, it pictures of, of Diana show up with this thing, when doing mind clearing. Uh, but the organization behind that was the Halo Trust. And with more than 30 years of experience in mind clearing, they know the most effective holistic way to go about clearing a country of mines. And the first thing they do is they get the government to establish kind of rules of like the order in which you do it, because you get the order wrong and people are going to die. Uh, you get the mind clearing organizations to cooperate. And I, I did a chat GPT uh, search on mine clearing organizations in Ukraine. And I found 65 in like three seconds. Well, they all have to play well together. You don't want, you, you want them to go where it's most needed and where they're not duplicating and where they have the expertise to do whichever kind of mine clearing is needed. And the guy I was talking at with the UN, he was telling me that the Ukrainians are so cooperative that he says, my job is like, I'm pushing and pushing and pushing on an open door. Hmm. In other words, they're, they're as cooperative as can be sure. and they're doing it really in a smart way. Uh, and then they have all sorts of, uh, if, if you're going to clear mines in Ukraine, you need to be accredited. You have to demonstrate that you know how to do it and how to do it safely and uh, how to how to do the steps right and how to hand over it to the village in a way that's just totally trustworthy so that the village doesn't spread the word, oh, they said it's safe and it's not. So I'm, I, I find it very impressive how holistically they're going about it. And then uh, I got myself invited to go to mine clearing school. It's you can you can go for six months and get really, really technical about it, or you can go for a few days and learn uh, how to do the really simple stuff. And mm -hmm. I don't yet know what the really simple stuff is. But here's what I do know that there's so much technology behind it. For example, have you ever seen a picture of somebody in a mind clearing outfit? Uh, it's uh, 
it's something like a spacesuit, and you see a visor over the person's head that that shields their face, and it looks like glass. And, they, are they like EOD suits, explosive ordnance? The guys that defuse yeah, bombs? Yeah, that's it. Okay, I recognize okay, that. Well, yeah. I, I was asking, uh, you know, having glass over your face, that looks, how, how could that stop an explosive? Okay, here's here's what an organization that's been doing this for 30 years and studying and where there are academic programs that learn how to be safe, how to do it, how to get the best equipment. Uh, I hope I'm getting this right. I'm going to be directionally accurate, even if I am not absolutely completely accurate, but I'll try my best. Um, they know that explosive, like at a short range, like a mine that you're about to step on or detonate, uh, they know how fast that explosive uh-huh. is moving. And it's, uh, I think the the rate is like 450 meters per second. The glass surrounding your face in the ordnance disposal unit uh, is calibrated to withstand a thousand feet per, uh, meters per second. So they, they really do know on, on a quite technical level what they're doing. And I can't wait to learn more. I mean, that's just stuff, stuff that I've picked up talking with people. But boy, when, I, when I've spent several days at mine clearing school, I know so much more than I know now. I'm excited about it. Oh, EOD suits are, are wild. Um, yeah, I know there's, again, from my limited knowledge of it, I know there's, I mean, there's there's kind of like metal detectors. There's, you can just bomb areas and hope that will do it. I know the U.S. has, uh, we took these like Abrams tanks and I think we took off the turret and we put on these huge skis on the front of them. And then the Taliban started getting, they started wisening up and they started making landmines that had trip wires 20 feet of, ahead of the mine. Oh. So you'd go ahead, you'd hit the trip wire and now the mine's under you. So then we started pushing our skis out 20 feet. So they'd make them 40 feet. So then they started making them. Um, they're really crazy. It's like they have these like spinning things on the front of them with like hundreds of chains with these almost, it almost looks like a medieval weapon, like these big yeah. metal ball and they'll kind of smash up the land. But I think, and I could be wrong. I think now they do it in conjunction with drones that have like ground penetrating radar and they pretty much can just find them and then, you know, dispose of them there. So I know there's multiple methods to to outdo it. I don't think it's a, a one size fits all. Um, they, they have I'm, these. I'm going to grab my blanket real quick. Okay, but meanwhile, I will monologue. Oh, no, I don't get to right monologue. Here. No, it's right here. Okay, how cold is it there? I don't know. My room's a little chilly. It's normally I have it colder in here. It's pretty warm in here, but I'm still chilly, so I don't. I don't know. I think it's in. I think it's in the 60s here. It's actually pretty balmy for Portland. Yeah, I, I have my window wide open. Yeah, no. Because like you, I like it cold. I think I don't like it as cold as you like it, but. I'm, I'm going to be sad when winter's over. I love winter because I actually enjoy the cold. It actually got, I think, last week, I think last Friday, they there was actually a record low here, and I think it was 18 below, and like some per, some pipes in the building exploded. Like, the, like you can't use the gym right now. Like the pipes exploded. Um, that was a little too cold for me, but 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 you're in the right place. Are you what, what what city are you near? I'm in Portland. Portland. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, I should know that because I've heard you say it. But I like I'm fine. But it did. That was too cold. 18 below was too cold. And I think there was a record temperature on 
Mount Washington in New Hampshire uh, with wind chill. They said it was, I think, a negative 101, which oh, is just... Well, my sister, whom I, whom I stay with uh, over Christmas and New Year's, she lives three quarters of the way up Mount Monadnock in New Hampshire, and it got to minus 40 degrees wind chill. Yeah. No, thank you. And I think it wasn't that cold. It might have been like, I don't know, 18 below, but there was plenty of wind on yeah. this, uh, this mountain yeah. ridge. I was screenshotting the weather app on my phone last week. It was like 18 below. And with the wind, it was, I think the lowest it got here was 43. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's no, 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 thank you. That's, that's too much for me. But uh, back to the, the mind clearing, what, what all, what are they using all of those tactics are there oh, they're using ones? so many. And and again, I'm going to know an awful lot more a few months from now. But what I know right now is that they have these fabulous drones that will map a whole field. And then a different drone carries, uh, I'm not, I've seen it done, but I'm not sure. I mean, I'll describe it, but I don't know the mechanism. Another drone goes by over where it's been mapped and detonates the, mm. uh, the mines. Can you figure out how... A secondary drone would, I mean, does it drop something to I imagine it, it would electronically or I imagine you'd get like a, not a drone, like a, like a, like a, like a, the ones that look like planes, but probably the little quadcopter ones, the ones that like, yeah, you can buy. Yeah. That, that's exactly what it looks like. You'd probably, I would imagine you, cause you can get, those can carry like the weight of a grenade. So I imagine you would have one that would map it and then you'd have a quadcopter probably on the edge of the field and i'm just been making this all up but i imagine this is what you do pick up a grenade go drop it on the target till it's detonated come back go pick up another grenade i mean i guess you could fly the drone into it but that would get very expensive no 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 definitely they were they were hovering over it and something was yeah. happening yeah they uh, and it sounds exactly like what you described but um again i'll know more in a couple of months but then some other really cool things uh, there are bond sniffing dogs uh, that can or mind sniffing dogs and they're trained they're they people who study this say that their ability to sniff a mine is somewhere between a thousand and eight thousand times our ability to yeah and they're trained not to get close to the mine that they just get close enough where they can like point it and and then somebody else comes along and possibly the drone uh and detonates it so the dogs, you know, the dogs do not get hurt in this process. And then the one that I'm just most excited about, uh, I hope I'm not telling something that's off the record, but here goes. Uh, you've heard of Boston Dynamics. Uh, Dynamics. They have a bomb sniffing uh, robot that looks like a dog. It's called Spot. And uh, the part that I'm not sure whether I can talk about yet or not, so here goes, is right. there... Remember it, it 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 is live. Do you remember I, that? I, no, I I think I'm safe on this. No, no um, just full disclosure. This is Mitzi, not me. <laughs> no, I, I I do think I'm okay. Uh, they're trying it out in Ukraine. Uh, I mean, there's going to be actual field experience, and boy, do I want to see that. And again, I'm not sure exactly how it works, but it's uh, I've read that it's faster and better than an actual dog. Uh, and, you know, like the dog, it, it knows not to get itself destroyed. Yeah, the olfactory capabilities of a dog are still, I think historically, I mean, we're probably coming up on some some sort of robotic parody. 
But I know historically, the ability of a dog to sniff something out it, it was still outperformed any machine we could create. But I would imagine we're probably getting close to where we have uh, synthetic sensors that can start to detect things like it, like a, right? I mean, forever, like an eagle's eye was better. And then finally we passed it with camera resolution in like the sixties, like, so that, you know, forever flight was out of the hands of humans until 120 years ago. So it's, it's only a matter of time until we have something at parity with it. That's better than it. Right. I'm ready to bet that, that spot the Boston dynamics dog. Well, again, I'll know more in a couple of months, but if I had to bet, I bet that it's it's already there. It's already there in the sense that it's its ability to to detect scent. I think that's I thought about this last year. I think you know as time goes on, we'll look back at the Ukrainian Russian war, and I think it'll be a turning point for drones. I mean, I know the war on terror was largely considered right drone warfare, but that in itself it's still pretty limited. It was it was drones flying and shooting missiles. It's not that. I think that decades from now we'll look at the Russian-Ukrainian war as a uh, as like the pivotal turning point for for full spectrum drone technology from I'm at dropping mines to clearing mines to dogs to and I think we've been lending uh, Ukraine like uh, autonomous submersibles. I think and and I don't think it's going to end anytime soon. I think both sides are kind of throwing all the drone technology at it and it's it's kind of getting wild as it's drone on drone which I guess in one way is like a progression of war to start to remove people and put in drones it's not to make light of the human deaths but I guess that's that's one of the episodes I did at the end of 2021 was with this professor Samuel Moyne who wrote the book Humane and it's about like is making war more palatable? Is that le- more or less humane? Because as we make it more palatable, we're less repulsed by it. But you know, what other way to do it than to humans are never going to stop fighting. We've been doing it since the dawn of time. We will continue until the end of time. As Dale says, we're the warring ape, either with lasers or with clubs. It's just what it is. Get over it. I guess the I love that realism. And I can't bear oh I hope people don't hate me for this, but I'm not a fan of pacifists because it's, it's not real. The whole world would be pacifist, yes, but if not, uh, somebody's just going to take advantage of you. Well, let's look at nuclear weapons. When did when did life on Earth? When did the nuclear threat really end? 1949, when the Russians detonated theirs. We could promise the world that we wouldn't use them, and we didn't. We used them to end a war, and then we didn't use them. But it, you know there was some oomph behind it when someone else had them pointed at us. That's exactly pacifism. Hey, I'm, I'm with it. I'm all for love thy neighbor. Kumbaya. Never once in history has that worked out. What's worked out is when they've got a nuclear weapon to our head and we've got it to their head. And then we both play nice because then it's self-interest as opposed to pacifism. So sure. It'd be great if we never fought again, but you know, I'm not going to hold my breath. So I think you kind of got to take the ugly win and say over decades, it will slowly turn to drone on drone. And I mean, even, I mean, what well, was a Guadalcanal, Okinawa. Didn't we lose like 20,000 American soldiers like that? Uh, we lost 7,000. What, 7, what was Iwo Jima? Iwo Jima was even more. I mean, and those were single battles. 
you know, the Vietnam War was 10 years, 58,000 deaths. War on Terror was twice as long and was 7,500, I believe, U.S. servicemen and women. Yeah, and then you go back to World War II and it was like, yeah, we'd lose 30,000 men taking an island. So there is like, sure, it'd be great if we all held hands. That's not going to happen. What's the next best thing? It sucks that it's taken 80 years, but now... You know, now we look at the war on terror and I mean, I remember when it started and I was in middle school, you would see on the news, 10 soldiers killed today. You know, we'd pray for him in sixth grade or whatever. But the idea of 10 soldiers deaths making the news versus like 1940, normally it was like, and 10,000 boys were struck down last night. And that was just the news. So I can only imagine that as this goes on and there'll be another war in 2030 and 2040 and whatever. And as time marches on i think it'll probably get to a point where it's like i think wars will start to be probably more like plane crashes where it'll be big news if there's a human death right but but i I have a theory which i haven't heard from anybody else but here goes i think russia is in so much economic trouble right now for so many reasons that if it doesn't prevail in what's going on right now and in the next few months I think it's going to be an economic basket case for two generations. I don't think it will be capable of attacking other countries. Probably. And I also suspect that China's, uh, I mean, it's so much in debt right now. Uh, I I don't see it long-term being able to, to cause the damage that it could exactly right now. I think... And I think there's something fascinating specifically about the timing of us pulling out of Kabul in what August 2021. And as disastrous as that was, and I'm no fan of Biden, I will also give credit where credit's due to much of the dismay of a lot of my military guests. At least it sucked, but the band-aid had to come off and he did it, and now we're not there. And it's terrible. And those 13 soldiers died, and that was terrible. But in the grand kind of 100,000 foot scheme of things, we had to get out and we got out. Give credit where credit's due, whatever. Unpopular opinion. Oh, but I'm going to yank his credit away because I think he did it so badly. I think that he's responsible. I think think that Putin wouldn't have attacked Ukraine if he didn't see America as a paper tiger. Perhaps, probably. But I think there's also something about us pulling out regardless let's say let's say it wins. okay i'm real glad that we pulled out i just wish yeah, that yeah. we had left sure sure i mean a billion it's... dollars worth of equipment so that the they could sell it to china and reverse engineer it and use it on us sure absolutely and you know the saigon withdrawal should again it should, should i'm with you i'm not i'm not i'm no fan i think i've made that very clear i'm no fan of biden that being said, let's say we pulled out swimmingly. Let's say Trump was still in office, which you and I would both like, and we pulled out and it was just to a T and great. Okay. I think it's fascinating in that our involvement in Ukraine. Did my camera just block out? Yeah. Uh, I can anything? still hear you. Okay. Hold on. Give me one second. This has happened. Uh, it's the second. It's never happened before. Until did it not start video? There we go. We'll use the oh, I like that. Is the mat? It's happened twice now with this where that camera over you look really good this way. Thank you. But that camera's never overheated in all the time I've had it. 
and it overheated just now and about a month ago with Dr. Bregan. That's never, the only thing I can think of is I kept my old apartment on the air conditioner at 55. And because it's so cold in Portland, I don't actually turn the air conditioner on. So I wonder if you can only run it for so long. It shouldn't be that way. That's a $2,500 camera. What kind did you get? It's a Sony. I got that in May, no, July, 2021. It's a Sony a something i don't know i could find it it's got a really nice lens on it any chance it's an a a sony a5100 i don't know i'd have to oh except it's not an a5100 because um that's what i have and it's 600 dollars. it's not it's not this one was was this one was a lot but it's been a little inside baseball this i kept my old apartment at 55 degrees because my little studio closet like room that you saw was very tiny and got very hot. So you had to just constantly, like a fire hose, hit it with cold air just so it would stay somewhat cold. This apartment, I don't have to because this is a big open room. And also because Portland is so cold, I, I don't waste money turning on the air conditioner. I just open the windows for a little bit and I let the cold air comes in and then it's good for 12 hours. But it's 65 in this room right now, which technically I guess is 10 degrees warmer than I ever kept that before. And I think that camera is meant for like taking pictures as opposed to, I think, I think it's capable of being used as a video. I don't think that's its primary design, which is what I use it for day in and day out. And I've noticed it only happens on like a second or third episode, which means that it's got to heat up. So I've been turning it off between episodes, but a camera that expensive should not be shut. If I was if I had that thing out at Kabul Air Base and was filming the withdrawal, yeah, I'd get if the heat thing went off in Afghanistan. It shouldn't that's that's a strike against them. Not that Sony cares, but as my podcast grows, I will remember this. But well, if it were me, I would look up on the internet and ask, has anybody had this problem? Because it might be a defective camera. It might it might also just be. I've done like seven hundred episodes on it. Maybe that happens after. I don't know. Shouldn't be happening. It should not be happening. Shout out to Apple. This one never dies. But um, that being said, going back to withdrawal from Kabul is I do think it's fascinating in that whether this happened right after, you know, like right after Vietnam, right? There's a lot of hesitancy to go into Korea because it was right after World War II. As soon as Vietnam ended, if you had tried to go do something else, no one would have allowed it because there was such an unpopular take on the war. It's fascinating to see, I think, another thing expediting our use of drones in Ukraine is you could not convince anyone, any U.S. soldier. You couldn't send boots over there if you tried. So there is this sort of weird workaround where the impalatability, is that a word, of war, specifically our own involvement, is such that if we send aid... Yeah, talking heads are, yeah, we're sending too much, but whatever. It's, you know, it's in the news, it's out of the news. It's not the same as sending over servicemen and women. So I think that's also a sort of a fascinating, I guess, paradigm of, of drone tech. I think this will be looked at as the drone war because uh, Iraq, Afghanistan, that wasn't the drone war because that was us using drones on them, not vice versa. This is drone v. drone. I think that is that's what this will be remembered as is probably a hyper acceleration and development of drone on drone warfare. 
does it fascinate you that because I know that that you care about history. I didn't expect to be living through history right now. For do you, what? Do you, what do you well, mean? Well, in the war in Ukraine, that you know, I've, I've studied wars in the past. I studied, I've read books on World War Two or World War One or or who knows the Napoleonic yeah. Wars. But here, here's a war going right. It's I contemporaneous. I don't know. I think, I mean, I'm 32. You know, when I was 11, they knocked down the Twin Towers. We went into Afghanistan. When I was 13, we went into Iraq. In 08, we had a once-in-a-lifetime financial crisis. And then, uh, you know, when... Okay, I... no lack of history, but there there hasn't been a war on this scale. I mean, well, this this is edging towards World War II in... in, in, in involved, in sure. Sure, no, I get that. But I guess in my sh kind of short life, it's been... You know, thing after thing after thing after thing, all it these one, these these once in a lifetime events have happened several times in my life now, right? You know, attack on U.S. soil. This should only happen on Pearl Harbor, okay? You know, us ramping up involvement in the Middle East. We thought that was over in Vietnam. 08 financial crisis that shouldn't have happened since 1928. A COVID pandemic which shouldn't have happened since 1918. I guess at this point, I'm sort of like, yeah, why wouldn't it? Darn, you're you're your age and you're jaded. That's what I mean. It's like once in a lifetime events have happened like four <laughs> times in my life. So I'm like, at this point, I'm like, yeah, of course, of course this happens. Right. Well, I'm the other hand at 81. I'm thinking, oh my God. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah. Now it's, no, I'm not, I'm not that surprised. I feel like as the comedian Tim Dillon said, we weren't getting out of the pandemic without a war. No one likes that. But that's the reality. It's like, Humanity kind of moves on from crisis to crisis, and it seems like there was really no way out of this one. By the way, uh, I just got a, a text message from uh, one of your listeners, Carlos. I won't say his last name, uh, but I guess people are liking us. Yay! Oh, good. And I've noticed, I don't know why, with this camera, my face is like blood red. I think it's just adjusting to the the blue lights I have on this with this camera. I look like straight up sunburned, um, but yeah, I don't know. I think that's probably what this war will be looked back at as, right? Because China's not going to send Chinese troops, but they'll probably send drones, and they have an interest, and as do we, of just not to be again jaded, but you know the the big money in this country does have interest in constantly trying out new weapons and you can try out a weapon in the middle of a desert in nevada so many times they want to see it they want to see it in the real world you've got a real-time fight going on right now this isn't afghanistan where it's us versus people in sandals and caves this is a you know a modern country against a fighting another modern country this is modern warfare it's it's very information warfare heavy it's very they're they're getting to test out a, again not to sound kind of blackpilled but there's a lot of free r&d right now and that's a bad way to look at it but how about it's really true it's it's and it's not it's not like me cheering it it's just you want to see how it works out right I mean, there's a huge argument that we kind of just wanted to see what the a-bomb did like that we didn't need to i mean vietnam the sensors we dropped all along the ho chi minh trail a lot of it was just kind of to see if it worked desert storm how well do these laser guided things work? 
Not well, good. if I were an arms merchant, I would really be happy these days because that's another thing. Is like, doesn't it almost kind of make sense? Doesn't in it? fact, wasn't it one of your guests who said that uh, that war is one of the most profitable things in the world? Burning flowers? No, it, it's hands down the most profitable thing in the world because you blow shit up and then you get to do yeah. contracts. And then you have to replace it. Well, you get not only you replace the weapons, you also rebuild the thing you blew up. And a lot of these defense contractors also do. It's called a war con. It's war construction, like Kellogg, Brown, and Root or Halliburton. Not only do they sell weapons, what a coincidence. I sell weapons that blow up roads, but there's also a subsidiary of Tommy Inc. that builds roads. It's uh, you know, it uh that ain't a coincidence. And it's it's a kind of a it is a black pilling thing, but it's almost par for the course. We we got off the teat of the war in the Middle East. We are but off you know, for that's six one of months. Your superpowers. I know I'll get your attention by saying that one of your superpowers. Oh god. Uh, willingness to be realistic it used to be willingness and now it just kind of seems to be like a natural thing not a choice yeah but think of how many people see things i I have an an expression that i'm really fond of the tourniquet of ideology closes off blood flow to the brain and it seems that's good i like that Okay, it seems to me that a lot of people uh, suffer from ideology and ideological tourniquet. Well, I used to do it as like a as a mental exercise. I'd be like, let's try to entertain an idea that we don't believe in. Right? I do it all the time on here. But I've, you know, you fake it till you make it. I've sort of done it so many times that now it's the 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 juice from that freshly squeezed orange is so much better than the store bought stuff that like. Now it's no longer a mental exercise. And I'm like, no, let's look at it. Like, let's try to find out why Biden did the right thing and let the balloon fly over the U.S. I don't believe that. But I found that opening your mind to all possible options, it does completely liberate you because it it abolishes your own idea. Of how many presences on TV can't do that. They, They have to go with the narrative. Yeah, that seems like death. To me, that seemed when you see someone who like they've got to do the Republican viewpoint and then the other guy, I've got to do the CNN. View. Dude, that feels like. Oh, that just feels that's like that's like a punk rock band selling out and they can no longer like say what they want to say. They have to say what they're that just seems like. That seems like selling your soul like it's no longer you. you there's now a hand underneath you just kind of operating you. So like. I do get a kick out of saying things knowing that, you know, Rumble is a highly conservative website by virtue of the fact that everyone there got banned from YouTube, which is a, you know, communist website. But I still get a kick out of just, if everyone's loving my videos, something's not right. It's so, if someone, people are angry in the comments, I know I'm doing the correct job. People are like, Tommy's too liberal for me. I'm like, good good because at the same hand i have liberal friends that are like yeah you're too much of a fascist for me so as long as both sides of people think i'm doing a terrible job that you you probably you're probably threading the needle then that means to me i'm like i'm, I'm walking right along the tire i'm walking right along the edge of the sword i'm like there we go if everyone in my family liked my show something would be wrong if no one sent me like hate-filled emails something would be wrong so yeah, but I, th- I think a huge reason for, and it's also is, is when you stop looking at things through an ideology, 
it's it frees you because it destroys the ideology that you believed in it destroys the ideology that you that you're opposed to but you don't quote unquote win because it destroys yours as well so it pokes all the holes in the the liberal viewpoint but there's no cheerleading because it's also sunk your conservative viewpoint so you're no longer looking at it as left versus right so like you i guess you win but you didn't win anything because you're no longer in the game so it's this weird it's this weird dividing by zero thing where you found the answer but now you're out of the the test and the answer doesn't matter so you you get to look at it you're just kind of passively observing it and when you look at it that way it allows you to start viewing things soberly and just very you know it's it's if you and I read about some battle in the fertile crescent 6000 years ago we're not cheering right we're just look we're looking at it like oh they had bronze weapons and they had stone okay interesting and they had an agrarian society and that was a th okay cool. you you just kind of look at versus now it's hard right i mean as i have a flag behind me it's it, it's much harder so as you can detach yourself from it more it allows you to look at things more accurately and i think the really dark truth is yeah, I don't think it's a coincidence that we get out of the Middle East and then a couple months later the defense contractors found a new buffet. I don't think I don't think that's a coincidence. That's it's not good. But But you're not a you you dare to think, which is well it's something that I wish for everybody. I I need to wind this up because Oh sure, yeah. I know you're I didn't realize oh my god, it's fourth third. I've kept you for an hour and fifth I didn't even I thought well, I loved it. I loved every second. I apologize. Well, that's how you know it's a good one. You don't apologize. Um, it's I four thirty. Holy shit! I thought it was four. All right, sorry. <laughs> I apologize. We'll wrap it up. Uh, yeah. Closing thoughts, Mitzi Purdue. Closing thoughts. Um, if you care about mind clearing, and I hope you do, uh, consider, um, heck, a three dollar donation to Mind Free Ukraine. And you get to that by going to uh, donor C, and that's like C is in look at donor C, and then I think it's slash mind for Ukraine. And uh, that link is in the description. And uh... oh, I do need to say one more thing about it though. It's uh, you can make donations right now, but we're still the the site is still under construction there. The grand launch is going to be 24th of February, but okay. it's it's active now in that you can use it, but there will be a lot of polishing between now and then. Gotcha. I, I really like that that quote that, yeah, the tourniquet of ideology. It's so accurate. It does. Or as the great comedian Tim Dillon says, looking at things through the lenses of liberal or conservative really is just the shirking of the burden of independent thought. Wow. You Ooh, I love to, that. You don't have to think, is this right or wrong? Somebody tells you. And that's not right. Independent thought, you know, using the stairs instead of the elevator. You know, it's harder, but it's good for you. Independent thought is not always fun, and it often kind of leads to a, a dark hole of, of nihilism. But on the other side is freedom. You can just kind of look at things soberly and adjust accordingly. Well, know. that comes to one of the mottos that guides me, and that is, 
when I'm getting into my ice cold shower in the morning to start off my day before getting into it, because I don't really want to, it's, it's, you, it, you know, it's do. cold, it's comfortable and unpleasant. But I ask myself, do you want comfort or vibrancy? And uh, yeah. for, I think it's 11 years now, I've chosen vibrancy. I was staring at the mirror this morning and I was like, there is truly nothing I would rather not do right now than go to the gym. And then I realized if I didn't go the rest of the day, I'd be wishing I went go. And so it's just like, let's go. And was it a good workout? No, it sucked. I hated it. But as soon as I was finished, I was like, it's finished. So yeah, choose a, choose the more difficult path, liberate yourself. And all that vibrancy over comfort. Yes, ma'am. Miss Mitzi Purdue, I love you. Thank you for coming. I on love you me. too. This has been super. Thank you. Again, I'm and sorry. everybody who's listening to us, thank you too. I'm sorry I kept you for so. That's kind of that's kind of amazing. No, I loved it. I loved I'm normally, it. I'm, I'm normally plus or minus ten minutes on like my understanding of where the clock is, but I guess that completely. I don't know. I so I apologize. That's, that's exciting to me. Thank you. It's, it's a great compliment, Miss Mitzi Purdue. All of your links in the description, your books, your writings, all that good stuff, as well as the uh, the website, Donor C to go donate. And it'll be up on February 24th, which is the one-year anniversary of the Ukrainian invasion by Russia. And I not only know that because Claire Lopez just told me about an hour ago. So thank you, Miss Mitzi Purdue. Guys, go check it out. Until next time, Mitzi, I love you. I'll send you this episode. Thank you. <laughs>